We are continuing our studies on revival and we are looking at the word revival, <coughs> breaking it up into its different you know, letters. Last week we looked at the first letter R. We said it signified a rekindled love for God. These are the ingredients of revival. If we want revival in our hearts, this is what we should be praying for. And this evening, we are looking at the second letter, E, standing for enthusiasm for worship. Enthusiasm for worship. Now, I wonder, when you think about this, uh, you know, these words, enthusiasm for worship, what comes across in your mind? Are you thinking about individuals you know, raising their voice in worship? Are you thinking about individuals jumping and dancing in worship? Is that what comes across in your mind? This evening, we look at the word meanings of enthusiasm, the word meanings for worship, and then we'll also put it all together and find out what does God really want in our lives. When you're thinking about revival, what does it mean to be enthusiastic for worship? So first of all, let's look at the meaning of the word enthusiasm. The word enthusiasm comes from two Greek words, en meaning within and theos meaning God. So if you put this word together, enthusiasm, it literally means God within. A person who is in God, a person who has God living inside, the scripture tells us is an enthusiastic person. So we must ask ourselves, the world defines enthusiasm in different ways, but the uh, genuine understanding of the word enthusiasm is a person who is in God, a person who is controlled by God, that person should be enthusiastic because that's the literal word meaning. Another biblical term for enthusiasm is zeal, which comes from the Greek word zelos, meaning excitement of mind or ardor or fervor of spirit. Zealous is ardor in pursuing, embracing, or defending someone or something. That is what we should think of when you're thinking about enthusiasm, pursuing something, excitement, you know, to defend and to embrace. Another word for enthusiasm is earnest. The Hebrew word kara, translated earnestly, means to be hot, to be furious, to burn, to blaze up to be kindled, to be on fire for God. That's what enthusiasm is. Another biblical expression for enthusiasm is to leap for joy. And it's expressed by the Greek words katao, meaning to jump or to leap. So when you think about these words, enthusiasm, they are so, now the word pictures are so vibrant, isn't it? In other words, if in case, in a, you don't remember any of these word meanings. I hope this evening you will get this much, that Christian living has to be very vibrant, has to be a full of excitement, has to be with a full of enthusiasm, leaping for joy. This will happen if a person is really revived. If a person is dead, there's not going to be any enthusiasm, no excitement, no joy. But if a person has been revived, there is an excitement in his life about 
God and the things of God. Now let's move to the second word, the meaning of the word worship. The meaning of the word worship. Now the dictionary meaning of worship is to honor or to show reverence for as a divine being and reverence offered a divine being. Okay, that's the Webster dictionary meaning, you know. Worship is to honor or to show reverence. So put simply, worship is anything that you do that declares the worth of the Lord, which deepens your relationship with Jesus and also urges others to follow him. So when you're speaking about worship, it is honoring, lifting up God. So the more we get to know about him, the more we can celebrate him. And the more we celebrate him, the more like him we become. Now, looking at some of the word meanings again, okay? Worship, you would say, is an inadequate translation of the Greek and the Hebrew terms. In our English, we use worship, you know, which is the old English of worship, worthiness, you know, worthy of honor. That is how we get the word worship. But when you're looking at the Hebrew and the Greek meanings, it has a, a lot of different understandings. The Hebrew word aboda, as well as the Greek word latria, which is translated worship, actually speaks about service and service that is done in the temple. Both these Greek words that are used for worship is related with worship at the temple or specifically to service at the temple. And also when you're thinking about service at the temple, it is linked to sacrifices at the temple. This is why you find in Romans chapter 12, we read about offering of our bodies as a living sacrifice. Paul also uses the Greek word liturgia, which means, sacrifice, which means service, to refer to a monetary gift that was collected for the Jerusalem Christians. So worship was also part and parcel of this aspect of service in giving. And Epaphroditus, if you notice, was the one who delivered you know, the, uh, the gift. You know? So this was his ministry. This was his worship. So when you're thinking about the biblical understanding of worship, a better word for us to understand this you know, meaning would be service, serve, and minister. Okay? Yet another word that is often used with worship in the, in the Bible is the word thusia, which means sacrifice. This is why oftentimes in the Old Testament, worship is always linked with sacrifice. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2 tells us, walk in love just as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. That is service. That is worship. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 17, Paul says, But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. So worship, when you're thinking of it, English word meaning worship to honor. But when you're looking back to its root Hebrew and Greek meaning, it basically means to serve. It basically means to sacrifice, okay? Sacrifice and serve the one who is worthy 
of all service and sacrifice, okay? So this is why we get to the third aspect of our understanding of what worship is not, what worship is not, okay? Singing hymns and giving testimonies, hearing a preacher, enjoying Christian fellowship is not worshiping. Although we speak of such activities as a worship service, isn't it? Because as soon as we think about worship, immediately we think about songs, isn't it? Now that's what we associate with. It's a worship time means there has to be singing, you know, but not necessarily so. In the Bible, when you're speaking about worship, it actually means giving of yourself to God in service, in sacrifice. And in that, there has to be the enthusiasm. That is what revival is all about. Revival is being enthusiastic about serving God, enthusiastic about giving up everything that will come in the way of God and putting him first in our lives and honoring him. That is what enthusiastic worship is all about. So let's look at what is worship. What is worship? To know God is to worship him. That's the simplistic definition of what worship is. Worship is not the external trappings. Worship is not sitting in a church singing songs. To know God is to worship him. This is why it has to start with the personal worship. It has to start with the personal worship. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16 speaks about how our bodies are the temple of God. God lives in us, okay, lives in us. And various terms are used in the scripture for this understanding of in us, where both you know, the creator and the creature can reside together. The Bible says that the God's spirit bears witness with our spirit, you know, that is the togetherness, you know. Psalm 27 and verse 5 calls this as the secret place. Psalm 51 speaks about it as the inmost place. Ephesians 3.16 speaks about this as the inner being. In other words, when you're speaking about personal worship, we are speaking not the external part of it, but the internal part of it. The internal where our own human spirit is uh, uh, coming together with God's spirit in us and is willing to lift Jesus up. This is what is so very important. Unless this you know, uh, joining together has taken place, there's not going to be any genuine worship. There's not going to be any enthusiasm in worship. It would be a lot of noise. This is why the Lord says, isn't it, in the Old Testament, away with you all their noise and all your sacrifices. I don't want all that. Because what God is really looking for is our personal worship where our spirits would commune with God's spirit and agree with him together to say, Lord, you are worthy of all worship. That is the first part of it, of the personal worship. But then we also have the corporate worship. We also have the corporate worship. When Peter addresses another church, he uses words like your people, your royal priesthood, your holy nation. Why does he use these phrases rather than you're just an individual? He uses these words which speak about a corporate affair. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, he says, That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness 
into his wonderful light. We have that intimate relationship with God. Then we come together to declare to one another the fact of who God is. It's not just the declaring to God of who he is. The corporate worship is declaring to one another, you know, who God is and what he has done for our lives. There is a dual audience, if you were to say, in corporate worship. If you notice Paul writing to the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19 to 20, he says, speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He didn't say, you know, sing praises to God. He says, speak to one another, sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We sing to God, we also sing to one another. Why do we sing to one another? Because by that we are encouraging one another in the fellowship to corporately join together in our lifting him up for who he is. And we also then corporately work together, recognizing we are one body, be willing to serve one another. That is what corporate worship is. And thirdly, worship is a, a lifestyle. Worship is a lifestyle. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 21, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. One who obeys the Lord, one who is willing to serve the Lord, one who is willing to put him first in their lives, that is an individual who loves God. That's what Jesus says. And if you notice in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 10, when Satan tempted him, Jesus replied, Worship the Lord your God alone and serve him only and serve him only, okay? That is the important thing. A lifestyle of worship is serving him only. It is not just the songs. It is not just the external worship. It is serving the Lord. And that's what revival is, you know? And we are willing to enthusiastically worship God, enthusiastically serve him in different, different ways during the course of the week, and not just on a Sunday morning. Dr. Foswid wrote a sermon in the 1920s, and the title of that sermon was The Peril or the Danger of Worshipping Jesus. And in that sermon, he commented that men have tried two ways to get rid of Jesus. One, by crucifying him, and the other, by worshipping him. And he says, the liberal doesn't like you to worship Jesus, okay? If a person says, say, nah, you know, you need to put Christ first in your life, you need to put him first, you're willing to fall down and prostrate yourself and worship before him, the liberal will say, say, that is uh, nah, <coughs> too emotional or that is not necessary, you know? And that is how the liberal will treat worshiping Jesus. Remember, Paul fell off that little donkey into the dust on the Damascus road and Jesus dealt with him. How did he deal with him? He said, rise up and stand on your feet. And Dr. Foswood writes and says, only the Christian faith that has ever lifted a man out of the dust and put him on his feet, you know, that is the type of an individual who is able to worship God. 
John on the island of Patmos saw, saw the glorified Christ and he said, I fell down on his, at his feet as dead. And then he continues on and said, he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. Okay. Now, what he's trying to get across is this important truth, you know, that worship must come from our hearts. Okay. The enemy will try and say, hey, you can worship externally. That is, you know, perfectly okay. But no, by doing that, you are actually not really worshiping God. Because God has made it possible for us now as little creatures to come to the creator. One who was lost in sin, one who was in the gutters of sin can now come up to worship God. And this has been made possible because of what Christ has done for us. So worship is that intimacy of knowing God. To know God is to worship him. So this evening, we must ask ourselves, if we want a revival in our enthusiasm for worship, you know, we must ask ourselves, how much do we really know God? It's not a question of how much we know about God, how much external, external knowledge, how much Bible verses or you know, doctrines we know about God, but how much do we really know him? This is what Paul's constant prayer was, isn't it? That I may know him in that intimacy. And when we have that intimacy with God, that is what genuine worship is all about. Let's move further and give a, in a simple definition then of what worship is according to the Bible. What worship is according to the Bible. Worship is the response of a grateful and a humble people to the living God. That is worship. That's the response. This is what God has done for us in Christ. The creature and the creator have been able to come together and worship is a, a response to that. And as a result, what do we do? We are submission, sacrificial service, praise, profession, testimony, and gratitude are freely expressed in innumerable ways, okay? Now, this is a much richer concept than mere corporate singing and praise once each week for 20 minutes, an event that can occur without any actual worship going on at all. And that's the dangerous part, isn't it? That we can have a 20-minute worship time, but there has been no submission, no sacrificial service, no praise, no testimonies, no gratitude. That means that is not worship at all. So having said this about what worship is all about, we must ask ourselves, are we truly worshipers? Do you know that the first time the word worship appears in scripture is in Genesis chapter 22, where Abraham was said to have worshipped. You know, where he says, I'm going to worship God. How was he going to worship God? When he was taking his son Isaac to be sacrificed. That is what worship is. Worship is a costly affair. Worship is not just a casual affair that we just come, sing for some time, rousing singing, and we have enthusiastic worship. No, that is not worship at all. Worship at the end of the day starts with a relationship with God. Somebody has put it across this way so very beautifully. Worship without love is like a flame without heat. It is like a rainbow without color. 
It is like a flower without perfume. Worship should have the spontaneity. It should not be like dry bread. It should not be synthetic. It should have an expectancy, a tenderness, and an eagerness in, a, in it. In a, now, a lot of times he says, this person goes on and writes and says that some types of worship today can be compared to going downtown, sitting in a departmental store window, holding the hand of the mannequin down there. It has no more life in it. It has no more vitality in it than that. Okay. Think of it. How is our worship? Is it full of life or is it just the external? Do we make up excuses you know, to give ourselves in service? Do we make excuses when we have to sacrifice different things in service for God? The story is told of a young man who wrote to his girl and said to her in very elaborate language, you know, I would climb the highest mountain for you. I would swim the widest river for you. I would crawl across the burning sands of the desert for you. Then he put a PS to that letter. If it doesn't rain on Wednesday night, I will be over to see you. And that's what a whole lot of worship is that today, isn't it? We make a lot of big, big words, you know. We have nice songs of worship, good. But, you know, excuses for service, excuses for sacrifice. A lot of ifs that we put in, okay? So let's move further. The Bible tells us very clearly we are commanded to be enthusiastic. We are commanded to be enthusiastic. Enthusiasm is not an option. As we started out by saying, if enthusiasm is in God, if we are in God, you know, it's not an option. We are commanded to be enthusiastic, especially in the basic matters of Christian living. In Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 11, this is what it reads. Let love be without dissimulation. <coughs> Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Fervent in spirit. That's what enthusiasm is all about. The Bible very clearly then teaches us all these practical things and says we are commanded to be fervent. We are commanded to cleave. We are commanded to be kind. We are commanded to in honor prefer one another. Enthusiasm also plays an important part in our spiritual growth, okay? Because if you are not motivated to read our Bible and to spend time in prayer and to exercise the spiritual disciplines, you know, what will happen? This will just become dry. It will just become a duty. We have to do it. And we'll come up with all sorts of excuses, you know, and as a result, our spiritual lives with will definitely suffer. Think for a moment. When you and I are truly enthusiastic about something, what does it mean? It basically means that we are being led by a power that is greater than us for a purpose that is far beyond what our eyes can see, isn't it? When we are enthusiastic about something, that means there is an inner drive within us. There is an inner power within us that is forcing us into action. And that is what enthusiasm for us Christian life should be. The Bible also uses this word to be eager for enthusiasm. You know, if, if you notice in 1 Peter 5, 2, it says, be eager to serve. 
In Corinthians, it speaks about be eager for the gifts of the Spirit. You know? In uh, Romans, it speaks about waiting in eager expectation for God. All these words are speaking about being eager, being enthusiastic. Oftentimes, we find that we may be in an environment where our enthusiasm gets drained off. Why does it get drained off? Because we are living within, among people who are constantly taking on negative things on them. We are meeting with them and they are only speaking about negative factors, negative factors. And this happened and that happened. What happens to your enthusiasm then? Your enthusiasm can go down. This is why you and I have to lift ourselves up by practicing enthusiasm. Stop saying depressing things. Stop saying discouraging things. Stop saying negative things. Think enthusiasm. Talk enthusiasm. Pray enthusiasm. Okay. And when we do this, as Isaiah 9-7 says, you know, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. So what are the things that we need to be enthusiastic about? Number one, we have to be enthusiastic about God. Okay. If you notice, Paul was zealous for God even before his con uh, conversion, isn't it? And then he acknowledges in Galatians that that was zeal without knowledge. But once he became a believer, he transferred that same zeal into advancing the kingdom of God. People are zealous for different things, isn't it? You know, maybe there are some people who are zealous for a sport. You know, they are zealous for some activity. They want you know, to drive around, maybe that's their zeal. You know? Enthusiasm for so many different, different things, you know, but you and I as believers must be enthusiastic for God, zeal for God, zeal for the things of God, you know, and that is so very important in the spiritual life. Secondly, the second corollary from that is when we are enthusiastic about God, when we are, our zeal is for God, for the things of God, then we want to not think about ourselves. Then we want to think about others, love others. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8 says, Above all things have fervent love. That's again enthusiasm. Among yourselves. For what? For love shall cover the multitude of sins. First of all, you must understand that fervent love is possible only if we are first purifying our own selves selves by obeying God's truth. A relationship with God is that we are enthusiastic about that. That in turn would enable us then to love others. We'll be enthusiastic about loving others only when we have done the first one of being enthusiastic about God. Thirdly, be enthusiastic about prayer. Be enthusiastic about prayer. Now Colossians 4, 12 to 3 speaks about a person by the name of Epaphras, okay? It says he was, he is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he has a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them that are in Heropolis. Remember these words for enthusiasm, fervent, in prayers, great zeal for you. He was enthusiastic about prayer, okay? Now, why was he enthusiastic about prayer? Because he was enthusiastic about loving others. Why was he enthusiastic about loving others? 
because it stemmed from his enthusiasm in his relationship with God. So all this is a step-by-step thing. So we must ask ourselves, if we are not really enthusiastic about loving others, could it be our enthusiasm for God is not there? Or if we are not really enthusiastic about praying for others, could it be it's because we don't really love them? Enthusiasm is a command that God gives to us. Fourthly, be enthusiastic about good works. All believers are to be enthusiastic about doing sacrificial works that will benefit others. Titus chapter 2 and verse 14 tells us that Jesus himself gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Again, enthusiasm. Be enthusiastic about good works. Also in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, it says, we should provoke one another unto love and for good works. That's what corporate worship is all about. So we begin to pray for others. When we come together in worship, we are looking at ways and means that we can do good works to help other people together. This is God's expectation of us. (coughs) Fifthly, We have to be enthusiastic about repentance, about (laughs) repentance. Remember, in Colossians, we learned about Ephaphras. He was fervent in prayer for the Colossian church. And also, if you notice, in the Colossian church, when Paul writes that, he says, also for the church in Laodicea and Heropolis. Here was a person who was enthusiastic in prayer for the church here. But the Laodicean believers, for whom Ephaphras prayed earnestly, lacked that enthusiasm. (laughs) How do we know that? We know it is in Revelation chapter 3. The Lord himself says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou art cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So the Lord is saying, okay, you're not on the right track. What should you do? Repent (coughs) and get back to that enthusiasm. That's what Ephaphras was praying for. And that's what he was praying. Lord, change them that they may get back on the right track. And that's what the Lord told the church at Laodicea in the book of Revelation. Number six. Be enthusiastic also about trials and reproaches. Now you may say, can we show enthusiasm in trials? If you notice James, when he writes about trials, he says, count it all joy. Basically saying, leap for joy. Be enthusiastic you know, about the trials and reproaches that come your way. Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5 and verse 12, rejoice and be exceeding glad when you are persecuted for Christ's sake. Why? Because that leads to sacrifice, that leads to service, that leads to worship. Okay, so be enthusiastic about trials. So what can we be enthusiastic about? Remembering that it's a command that God has given to us. We are enthusiastic about God first, our relationship with him. And then that will reach out to loving others as well. Then we begin to pray for them. You know, 
with all zeal. Then we are looking at ways and means by which we can serve them. And when we recognize that we are not on the right track, you know, we are willing to turn around and repent and be zealous in doing the good works. You know? And then when we go through trials and questions and tri tribulations in our lives, we are enthusiastic about it. You know? We welcome it with open arms because through this is opportunities for service and sacrifice and worship. Now you may say, hey, this doesn't really seem you know, humanly possible. Or this is like you know, for the super good people. Now, how do we generate enthusiasm? Can enthusiasm be generated? Okay. Now, remember, genuine enthusiasm is not something we can activate by our own energy. It's not like you switch on a button and now suddenly today we have become you know, enthusiastic. No, it is a harmonious interaction with the Holy Spirit of God that produces enthusiasm. Okay. Now, we must remember this because we can have external enthusiasm. Okay? We can have enthusiasm from our own spirits as it were. You know? We can stir up our emotions. We can stir up our minds. We can stir up our minds and wills. You know? But after some time, what will happen? That will die down. Okay? Enthusiasm which is generated you know, by our own energy is like a candle. It gives light. But after some time, what happens? It is self-consuming. The candle dies out. On the other hand, enthusiasm that is generated by the Spirit of God is like a flame of an oil lamp. And as long as we are filled by the Spirit of God and the Word of God, enthusiasm like an oil-filled lamp will burn indefinitely. That is so very important. We cannot generate enthusiasm. Remember revival? It is God who revives our hearts. So this evening when you're looking into our lives and asking ourselves, am I really worshipping? Is there really enthusiasm in my life? It's not at the end of the day to say, okay, Lord, from tomorrow onwards, I'm going to be you know, enthusiastic. I'm going to switch on the enthusiasm button. No, it is asking God, Spirit of God, you do this deep work inside of me. Let it start inside of me so that I know you in a more intimate way. And if that is our heart's cry, then from the innermost beings, as the scripture tells us, will flow rivers of living water. Three examples of people who demonstrated enthusiasm. Number one, Paul was a champion of enthusiasm. Okay, isn't it? He was a person who was full of zeal for the Lord. Okay, Examples of people who generated enthusiasm. Paul is the number one individual. Second individual we can name is Apollos. Okay, In Acts chapter 18, we find that Apollos was an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures, fervent in spirit, and he spoke and taught diligently the things of God. Apollos was the one who was fervent in his desire to know God's word and to teach God's word. Paul was fervent in his desire to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And also we find Stephanus in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 15. It says that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Service, that is worship. And Paul says they have addicted themselves. What a strong word to use for worship, isn't it? You know, of service. Okay. Now, 
let's look at how can we really worship now with genuine enthusiasm. We understood what enthusiasm is. We have understood what worship is. Now let's look at how can we really worship with genuine enthusiasm. I'm sure you're familiar with the scripture where Jesus is talking with the Samaritan woman and he has we come up with this verse which says, you know, they who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That is what genuine worship is. That's what Jesus says, isn't it? And a Samaritan woman was asking, is this the place? Is this the place? Jesus said, place is not the criteria for your worship. The criteria for your enthusiasm in worship comes from your innermost being, you know, worshiping him in spirit and in truth. So this evening, let's look at that passage and learn some principles, you know, on how to worship him with genuine enthusiasm. Number one, appreciate the fact that Jesus takes the initiative, okay? Jesus takes the initiative. He came to the Levitician church and says, I've tested you, I've tried you. This is where you are at fault, okay? He takes the initiative, you know, in enabling us to get into that relationship. You know, if you notice, we spoke about God's spirit and our spirit bearing witness that we belong to God. And that has been made possible because Jesus has taken the initiative. Worship starts with what God has done for us. If you notice in chapter, John chapter 4, Verses 3 to 4, it says, So Jesus left Judea to return to Galilee, and he had to go through Samaria on the way. Okay. Now, that is the direct route. You know, normal people did not, normal Jews did not take that route because they were Samaritans, and Jews and Samaritans had nothing to do with each other. But Jesus took that route. He was purposeful in taking that route. Why did he take that route? Because he took the initiative for striking up that conversation with the Samaritan woman so that the Samaritan woman would know what genuine worship is. And if you notice, that whole passage concludes with a lot of enthusiasm, isn't it? Okay. So here you find this Samaritan woman, you know, an individual who comes in the afternoon to pick up water. Why? Because she was an outcast. Normal people came in the morning and the evening where it was much cooler. Afternoon was very hot, but this is the time that she came and Jesus takes the initiative. You know, what does she do? He asks her this question, give me to drink, give me to drink. Isn't it? You know, such an important, simple statement that he does. You know, he takes time to spend time with this woman. Remember the disciples, you know, went away you know, as soon as they saw this woman, they said, we are going to go and buy bread. Now, you don't require 12 disciples to go and buy bread, but all of them went away. Why? Because they didn't want to take any initiative. They didn't want to have anything to do with the woman, and they didn't want to have anything to do with the Samaritan woman. But the beauty of this encounter is that Jesus is the one who took the first step. So when you're thinking about revival, as much as it's our, our heart's desire to be revived, remember, it is God's desire that we be revived, okay? Jesus is the one who takes the initiative. And we must appreciate the lens to which God has gone to relate to us. The lens that God continues to go to take the initiative, you know, even during the studies that we are doing, you know, that this would be an opportunity 
for each of us to understand God's heart of worship, that we will really be enthusiastic in our commitment to him. An opportunity like this is God taking the initiative. Looking back into our life of all that God has done for us, it is God taking the initiative. Remember, Jesus is the one who takes the initiative so that we become a worshiper of Jesus. Secondly, begin just as, just where you are. Begin just where you are. You don't need to be pretend to be somebody else, okay? Come to Jesus just as you are. When Jesus met this woman, he said to her in verse 7, please give me a drink. Please give me a drink, okay? Simple question, okay? Now we have, we can learn a lot of lessons from this passage about personal evangelism. But here we are looking at the steps that are leading to enthusiastic worship. So when Jesus takes the initiative, we start where we are, okay? For her, it was water. And from there, he moved on into spiritual water, life-giving water. There are a lot of people who come to Jesus for different, different reasons, isn't it? You know, some come for healing, okay? Some come for friendship. Some come, you know, because, you know, their needs are met, you know, by Jesus, you know. But that's only the starting point, you know. Asking for water was only the starting point. Jesus wants to take them even further than the starting point. Some people, you know, also want to come to Jesus because they don't want to go to hell. Now, that may not be a bad idea, but the Lord says, okay, that's only the starting point, you know. It's only the starting point. I want to take you even further. But the sad part of it is a lot of us will get stuck in that first stage itself. Jesus says, you know, give me to drink. We said, okay, here's water, drink. That's it, over. Okay. We say, I've received Jesus into my life. That's it, full stop, you know. But there's no enthusiasm for worship. There's no enthusiasm for service. There's no sacrifice. There's no willingness to put God first in our lives and say, Lord, you are the one whom I love the most. Okay. The Lord says, I've taken the initiative. For whatever reasons you have come to know the Lord. Now, that was only the beginning. Don't be satisfied with that. Yearn in your heart for a deeper walk with God because God is wanting to give that deeper walk with you. Think for a moment, Paul, at the, even at the end of his life, his heart cry was, Lord, that I may know you. Third important lesson that we learn is come clean about your sin. Come clean about your sin. A lot of times, you know, we may delude ourselves to think that we don't really have a problem, that we don't really have a problem. Jesus told this woman in verse 17, go and get your husband. And the woman answered very honestly, I don't have a husband. I don't have a husband. Okay. And then soon after that, she begins to change the topic, you know, and says, where should we worship and things like that. But Jesus, you know, got to the heart of the issue, okay? He did not allow her to sidetrack him with all that matters and that she was saying. And then Jesus told her very clearly, pointed it out to her and says, yes, that is true. That is true. You don't have any husband because the one with whom you are living is not your own. 
and that was an eye-opener as it were for her, okay? Now, when we are willing to come before God and admit that we are not enthusiastic, admit that we are not really worshipping, admit that there's something missing in our lives, we have got stuck up with the external routines, but the heart longing for God is not there. When we come clean about our sins before the Lord, then the Lord reveals himself to us and speaks to us and says, the time is coming and is already here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For what, what Jesus was saying is that God is looking for people who would worship him with genuine enthusiasm. God is not interested in performances. You know? In fact, the Bible very clearly says that he hates those individuals who only pretend to worship him. In fact, very clearly, in fact, the Lord says, I, I hope you just stayed at home and didn't come to the temple and did all these external worships. God wants us to come clean about our sins before him and worship him with a genuine uh, worship. Look at this woman now. She has been exposed. She is willing to admit, I don't have any husband. That leads her into a closer understanding of what worship is all about. And then once this clicks in her, what happens? There's a delight that comes into her heart. There's a delight in the difference. Or there's enthusiasm now that comes into her life. John chapter 4 and verse 39 tells us, Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay at their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many of them to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe because we have heard him ourselves, not just because of what you told us. He is indeed the savior of the world. Remember earlier when she came, she came in in the afternoon. She didn't want to be seen with everybody else. But now there's a changeover. There's a difference that has taken place. There's an internal joy that has come into our hearts. There's an internal enthusiasm that has come into our hearts. She's not bothered about the rest of the world around her. She goes out and shares with everybody. She's enthusiastic. She's zealous about what she really believes in. And then the people also come to know about the Lord. So if you and I are a worshiper of Jesus, then we will be a changed person. We will be able to enjoy the difference. Others will see the difference, okay? And Jesus teaches us very clearly, even this evening, that worship is not just coming to church. You can come to all the services possible, listen to all the service possible, sing all the songs possible, and then leave. That is not worship. Worship is about meeting Jesus and responding to him in the right way. And this woman did it. And as a result, her life was enthusiastic worship. So this evening, when we looked at these thoughts, ask ourselves a couple of questions in application. Number one, how enthusiastic are you? If you had to you know, put your Christian life you know, in enthusiasm about your Christian life on a grade from 1 to 10, what will your grade be? How enthusiastic are you? Secondly, have you experienced the indwelling of the Holy Spirit 
through salvation in Christ. Remember we said enthusiasm starts with being in God. Has that happened? Has the spirit of God come into your life and your spirit and God's spirit bears witness together to say, yes, we belong to one another. Has that experience of being born from above happened in your life? Thirdly, have, as a believer, have you asked the Heavenly Father to fill your life with the Spirit of God? In other words, is the Spirit of God constantly controlling your life? Is that energy flow that is coming out is from the inside being pushed out, not from the external being pushed in? Number four, do you experience emotional drain or depression by trying to act enthusiastic with your emotions rather than through God's Spirit? Are you trying to just make a man-made enthusiasm about your faith? Or are you genuinely enthusiastic about your faith because it's the Spirit of God that is pushing you inside out? Okay. Number six, number five, do you fill the lamp of your spirit with daily fellowship with God through His Spirit and His Word? He gave the analogy of the candle and the lamp. The candle both gives light, but the candle after some time will burn out. But the lamp, because it has the oil burning, will continue to burn. So it is important that we worship daily. It is important to keep our lights burning. How do we do that? It is the daily fellowship with God through His Spirit and His Word. Number six, do you get more excited about sports? or anything that the world has to offer than the challenge of the Christian life. Okay? It's like asking the question when somebody hits a century or a six, you know, are you enthusiastic about that? You know, as much you know, when it compares to a person who's come to know the Lord or you're growing in their faith you know, or your walk with Him. You know, what is your excitement level when you're thinking of comparing these two things? Number seven. Do you read novels more fervently than you study the scripture? You know, fervently, zealous, you know. You take a book, you read it from cover to cover in no time. But reading the Bible, is it a bore to you? Is it a chore to you? Are you not enthusiastic about it as much as you're enthusiastic about the secular books? Number eight. What happens to our relationship with God and with others when we are lazy? When we are not enthusiastic, how does it affect our relationship with God? And how does it affect our relationship with others? Number nine, when have you been filled with enthusiasm the most? Okay, Look back into your life okay, and ask yourself, when were you really able to say, you know, I had enthusiasm for worship, you know, the topmost peak. What are the things? What are the situation? You know, what are the period in your life? And finally, number 10, think through the steps you need to take to put enthusiasm into action in a specific instance, such as motivating yourself by the help of the Spirit of God to seek more passion, directing it to His call in your life. What are the steps that you need to take to make sure that there will be the enthusiasm for worship, the excitement for worship, the relationship between God and you in service and in sacrifice? 
Let's bow our heads and pray together.